Thank you for tuning in to this message from Kingdom Airs International, headquarters located in Flagstaff, Arizona. Woo. All right. You guys ready for a uh, meal? What? what? What do you call that when you have like a full course number three? What have we had? We've had like two meals prior to this, then this, and now we're on... I don't even know what course, but a lot of courses. So there's going to be a lot that we're going to go over tonight. So um, usually our family nights, as you guys know, we do discussion and question and answer. But tonight we are basically going to be releasing and teaching while you guys are dining on the feast because we're in the middle of one starting tonight. Amen? So if you guys remember, uh, we began the January as having that anyways meeting, right? It's the, it's, we're going to remember, this is what we're going to do anyways. Most of us probably needed that reminder because it's in the middle of the night. It was a dark season. Winter's starting to get pretty weighty. Spring's not coming. And so we needed to remember, we're going to do this anyways. Then we started in February with teaching where we began to dive in the second pillar of the second floor. You guys know what I'm talking about. You guys remember the building that is being built in the spirit in order to represent that. We have the first floor with the four pillars. Then we have the second floor. And the first pillar that we went over was what? On the second floor. First pillar was? We're on the floor of honor. And on? uh, Okay. Second floor, first pillar feast. But then we went into the second pillar right after the anyways. What was the second pillar? Heritage. So we started this heritage. How crazy was that to begin to learn that we have forefathers and then we also have church fathers. And most of us began to find out that we're being, we've We have been fathered by a religious father that started 300 years after Yeshua. So we began to release on our heritage because it is very important for us to go back to our roots, to know who we are, to really understand what we're being fathered by. We got, like, we scratched the surface on heritage. And then, bam, here we are in March, and another feast has popped up. So if you guys remember last year as a family, we decided that, remember when I taught on this, so we've, we have covered feasts. We have covered the pillar of feasts. Can you guys see this okay over there? A little bit. We have covered the pillar of feasts. But as a family, we decided that when the feast comes, we're going to pause. We're going to take a moment to find out what it looks like for this family to celebrate each of the, these feasts in, an, in, uh, in a very specific way. So we have covered all of this. But now that we are in Pesach, we're going to talk about what that looks like, just like we did with Hanukkah, just like we did with Sukkot. And we're going to do that again this year. We're going to be going over this tonight because that's what we're in. In 50 days from tomorrow, we're going to be going over the uh, Shavuot. And then from there in the fall, we're going to be going over these three things again. Remember, we are in a season to build. What has happened in this family is everything we've known has been torn down and he watched us walk obedient in almost nothing but him. Is that not powerful, though? 
that the only thing was to hold on to his garment. The only thing that we had was to hold on to him because he was tearing everything that we knew away. And I believe that as we start the building process, we are gonna find out more that's not supposed to be there as we begin to lay the structure. Um, so there's still more of that. It's not like that season's done and then you move on. You always are circular. So you're always gonna go back to something in your new revelation and rewalk that out because you are circular, not in the sense of a mountain, but you're constantly ascending from glory to glory in revelation, okay? So now we're diving into heritage and at the same time we get to build on the feasts, amen? Does that make, all make sense? So tonight we're going to go over Passock, unleavened bread and first fruits in detail. So not only are we gonna have an overview of the feasts, we wanna dive really in detail with Pasach because we are technically entering into that feast for our family this evening. And this family right now is enjoying a Seder meal. And so we wanna talk about what a Seder is. We're gonna talk about what we think we know a Seder is. We're gonna talk about what Yeshua did during uh, the Seder that he celebrated his whole life up until the moment that he died, uh, what he was honoring. If you guys remember most of your guys' testimonies during Hanukkah, the biggest testimony that I heard uh, specifically was, why would I not honor what Yeshua honored, right? Well, Hanukkah is not an appointed feast. He did not say you had to honor that, but we as a family decided since he honored that, maybe we should understand what Hanukkah is. And it really reignited a light in our temple through that winter season, did it not? It transformed our lives of transferring us from one pagan thought into the authentic thought. And it was a really good opportunity because it happened to be in December and so it was, a, it was just an... Hanukkah has nothing to do with Christmas, but it was an awesome opportunity to be able to dive into celebration as we built as a family, right? Well, Passover, Passock, is something that Yeshua also honored. He honored that celebration even up until he died, and it's an appointed feast that you are to always honor. And so what we're going to do tonight is we're going to talk about this. We're going to talk about the concept of this again. We're also going to go over uh, demolishing some things that we normally celebrate right now, just like we did with Hanukkah and Christmas. So it's going to be fun because I'm going to demolish the Easter bunny, the Easter egg, and everything about Easter. Okay? Please. No, you do not. But here's what's so awesome. While this family has probably not gotten Easter baskets for a while, this year you get to get something because he's bringing back the authentic. And there is an aspect that we're going to go over where children, well, I don't even want to get into that. Just wait. Tonight's going to be so exciting. It's going to be so awesome because now we get to build. And let me just tell you, the things that he's asking this family to build is like, if there was a million things to do during this feast, I don't mean to do in a bad way, but a million things to honor during this feast, he's giving us like three. So we have year upon year upon year upon year upon year to build what this feast is to look like for our family. If I could say it this way, we've had 1,700 years of Easter that has developed now it's time for us to develop the next 1,000 years on what uh, these feasts are supposed to look like. Amen? So we're going to demolish Easter. We're going to go into Passock. We're going to talk about unleavened bread and first fruits. And then we are going to be doing a huge announcement about our first fruit celebration at the Brewer home. 
You guys all got that invite. Does anyone in here, raise your hand, not know what I'm talking about? Gabe does not. Thomas Garcia's. Everybody knows what I'm talking about. No. We are having a first fruit celebration at the Brewer Home next Saturday. During that time, though, we are going to be doing specifically th specific things that honor these feasts, and I want to teach on them tonight so that when you come to the home, you understand what it is that we're doing. And after tonight, we're going to send this family, like Eric so beautifully talked about last week, is we're going to be sending this family into a process of unleavened bread in order to receive what is going to come at First Fruits in our home. Okay? So all of that is happening tonight. You ready? Okay. <laughs> all right. So let's just kind of start with an overview of feast. This goes back to the feast pillar that we talked about already, right? We all understand that in Hebrews that this is a shadow of what's to come. So when it says in the Old Testament that most Christians say that's old and this is new and so that's been done away with, that was everything we learned during that pillar. Remember? We talked about the law. We talked about that Yeshua came to fulfill the law, not do away with it. We talked about that the law that he did get rid of was all the rabbinical rules and regulations and interpretation of the word, but he did not get rid of the Torah. And it's in the Torah that it says to honor these things, and you watch Yeshua honor, honor these things. So what we're doing as a family is going back to the authentic, and we are remembering what Yeshua said to do, not what Constantine said to do 300 years later with the introduction of Christian religion. Right? So, the feasts are like, I just, this is why I voxed yesterday and was just laughing with my mind just blowing up. Because how much of us have been robbed when they, when we were told this has all been done away with. So it's, it's, he died and it's Easter Sunday and that's all we know and then maybe if you're Pentecostal, you celebrate Pentecost, maybe. It's usually a sermon about tongues. And that's it. Yes? If you're Pentecostal, you get a sermon about tongues. It's the church's birthday. Somehow church got incorporated in there. I don't know, what, I don't know where that came in, but right, okay. So the church's birthday happens, and we know that he died, and we know that he rose, and that is now turned into Easter Sunday. And that's all we typically know. Am I alone in that? That's pretty much all we know. What we have been robbed from is the entire gospel. The entire gospel and the authority of the gospel and the word that became flesh has been robbed from us. Because if we don't understand this, we don't understand what's coming. All of this points to Yeshua. So if we don't know this, we don't even know him. This is why he says, you, you, you cast out devils. And you do this and you do that. You heal the sick and you don't even know my name. I don't even know you. That's how you can go down a road where you are quoting scripture and casting out devils and speaking in tongues. And he's like, in fact, the very thing that you're casting out, <laughs> what if I said the antichrist will be backed by Christianity and we won't even know it? The Antichrist that is going to come against what is going to happen in Israel will be the church. So I'm just saying, what are you casting out? Okay, so I want us to just kind of look at this spiritually, okay? So there are seven appointed feasts. These are the ones we are to honor. I do not see Halloween up here. 
I don't see Christmas up here. I don't see Easter up here. I don't see the pickle day up here either. (laughs) Well, nationalism is a little bit different than paganism, so I'm not going to go there with 4th of July. (laughs) So, no, 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 no. Dad is going to get into this, but you remember when he taught on replacement theology? Most Christianity believes in replacement theology. They believe the church replaced the, uh, the Israelites and the Jews, and so we're, the, we're, we're it. We're the, we're, the, we're the light. Go and evangelize. They missed it. We're, the, we're it, right? Replacement theology. What happens when you celebrate Easter and not Passock? Replacement theology. What happens when you celebrate, right? So there are things that paganism does that actually replaces the authentic. That's what we're trying to tear down, okay? So I want us to look at this. So there's seven feasts that we are to honor. There are three spring feasts. We're in them right now, okay? It lasts eight days between here and here and here. There's three separate feasts, but it lasts eight days. 50 days later after first fruits, Shavuot happens, okay? That's the fourth feast. And then we have the fall feast, and these are all within about 10 to 15 days. Yom Teruah, which is trumpets, atonement, and tabernacles. Okay? All right. Watch this. Pasach, arcs with tabernacles. Okay? He dies on earth here, he dwells on earth here, okay? Unleavened bread, separation, judgment of sin, takes out the leaven, there's a separation, there's an, a, a, a descent to get to an ascent, okay? Unleavened bread arcs with judgment of the nations, okay? First fruits, he rose, he come back. Okay, and all of this is pretty much managed by the Holy Spirit. Okay, Holy Spirit in who? This is, wait till Shavuot. This is the sun's one. This is where the suns rise up. This is where you get your authority to activate all this, to do that, to be able to do this. Okay, because this is also a mirror. This, has Passover been fulfilled? Yes. Has unleavened bread been fulfilled? Yes. Has first fruits been fulfilled? Has Shavuot been fulfilled? Has trumpets been fulfilled? No. And yet, this is what, so if he fulfilled four, why wouldn't he finish? This is why we cannot say that this has all been done away with. That's for the Jews. We're on to something new. Because we're missing the other part of the story. So we can't say that this has been done away with. But if, okay, so can I talk about a rehearsal? You guys understand what a rehearsal is when you get married. I would say for us, the wedding day was phenomenal and perfect. But why? We had a rehearsal. What happens at a rehearsal? Fights. Tyler said fights. 
You know your role, you know your position, and you know what to do when the day comes. What happens when we rehearse Pesach, even though it's already been fulfilled, we are rehearsing and praise the Lord our ancestors knew to rehearse. Because in that rehearsal, when the day came, they knew what this was. Okay? When the, right? When the, what happened on Shavuot? Go to the upper room and wait for me there. They already knew what to do because they had been rehearsing Shavuot way before we know about Pentecost, Mount Sinai. They had been honoring the marriage covenant of the Torah to the people when Moshe transformed into particles and he glowed and, he, and we're going to get into all that. But all of that happened and they had honored what happened on Mount Sinai all the way up until Holy Spirit came. They were rehearsing. They knew what to do when Holy Spirit came because they knew what happened when the Torah descended from the mountain and married them. This is why we need to rehearse trumpets because there is going to be a year where the trumpet happens and we need to know our role, our position, and our place at the wedding. Okay? Make sense? So this is the reason why we're going over the feast. This is a mirror, and we are to call down that mirror. We are not to be escape artists, okay? We are not to be renters. This earth ain't mine. He's coming back and taking me away. That's not what this says, right? So you're not escape artists, and you're not renters. That doesn't have anything to do with the gospel. It's nothing that he, it's nothing that he said was going to happen. So we're rehearsing for what's to come. Amen? Okay, so this is heaven and this is earth. Here's another little just quick overview. Don't forget, I'm not going to teach on this, that the feasts line up with the days of creation. Okay, we're in Pasach right now. We're at the beginning. It's the month of Nisan. Remember our new year started, but this is where he says that you get to start over. This is... This is going to be so important. This is your chance to rededicate a covenant because he says you get to start over right now with month one. Year stays the same, you get a new month. This is the beginning. Passock, day one, what happened on day one? He separated light from darkness. What was happening during this time? There was there, right? Then day two, what happened on day two? Water, unleavened bread, I'm going to get into it, is the process of them leaving Egypt and walking through the Sea of Reeds, as we know the Red Sea, where the water began to rise. There is a separation in the gathering of the water, something that I want to talk to you guys about with unleavened bread, which is so powerful. Most of us see those pictures where the water separates and they walk flat. Does anybody know a lake or an ocean that's flat on the bottom? When the water parted, they met dry ground and they descended. And then ascended into the first fruits. That is a picture of the unleavened bread of what he did for you, that he descended and he ascended in the separation of the gathering of the waters. Day two. All right, all right. Day three, what was day three? 
That's day four. Everybody's like, get off their phone. Uh Uh-huh. So then you have a separation of the firmament that then is going to point to Shavuot because on day four is the lights. Remember what I talked about who the suns are? Okay, so I'm not going to teach on that, but just to give you something to chew on that these feasts line up with what is tabernacles? Day seven was what? Rest. And when he comes and he dwells with us, there will be ultimate rest in order to start a new beginning. Okay, so I just want to give you those overviews to chew on that there are seven feasts, that there are seven days of uh, creation and how they line up and what is happening in the spirit. Okay, so that's the overview on feasts. Go ahead and demolish why we don't do the other thing. (laughs) Um, So I wanted to kind of, I think sometimes God asks us to dismantle or strip ourselves of something that's not his or take a step back, get a clean slate. And sometimes probably 99.9% of the time, we don't realize how big of a step back we have to take. Okay. So when we taught about replacement theology last month, it was February 19th. If you weren't, if you didn't hear it or you need to go back, I encourage you to do that. Um, But the the replacement theology, also known as supersessionism, I don't, I don't know why it's called that, but, um, you know, replacement theology, displacement theology is so pervasive that we have to take such a big step back to be able to see how far-reaching it is, okay? Um, the majority of North American churches believe in replacement theology in some way, shape, or form. It's roughly 60%, and I believe the 60% that 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 believe in replacement theology are the ones that say simply the church is now Israel. The Jews, you know, their sin was so great that God, God broke the covenant, covenant that he said he would never break, and now we're in and they're out. Those are the 60%, okay? When you talk about how far-reaching replacement theology is, I think it would be more like 80 or 90% of churches are operating in some degree of replacement theology and maybe don't even know it, okay? So, uh, you know, we talked about Romans 11. You can go back to that. Apostle Paul basically said, by no means has Yahweh rejected Israel. Um, And so we come to the question of how far-reaching is this theology? You know, it's things like Christmas. It's things like, Uh, Like she just pointed out, we have basically exchanged the appointed feasts, the appointed times for traditions that are not his, okay? Uh, Christmas, Easter, think about the New Testament and the law. People will say, well, Jesus came and he abolished the law. Or the New Testament replaces the Old Testament, and that's simply not true, right? It's a renewed covenant and he didn't come to replace the law. He came to fulfill it, right? So when we think about and replacing he has something. fulfilled it, right. but he needs you to finish. The fulfillment's not finished is the point. So 
I mean, we have to take a really big step back. And we talked about it that night that we had to discuss this in order to move forward in building without working against ourselves because of these deeply ingrained um, beliefs that we might have. So when we talk about Easter, um, what's interesting is, you know, like nowadays, I think everybody is heightened to the narratives that are out there, right? Just the way the, the culture is right now, there's, all, there's narratives, this or that, red or blue, you know, Republican, Democrat, wear a mask, don't wear a mask, right? There's all these narratives. You can turn on the news and you're going to get a straight up narrative, right? And we're all super aware of that. What's interesting about Pasach, the word Pasach means the mouth talks. So this is a picture of a kingdom narrative. This is a kingdom narrative, okay? Now, we have to, when you look at Easter, there's a narrative that you're, operating in. There's a narrative that you're buying into with Easter. And, you know, we could, we could have debates about this. There's a lot of Christians who will, you know, justify Easter and eggs and, you know, the word Easter's in the Bible once, and we, I, we could go into a whole thing about that. But that doesn't justify, right? We have, that's like surface level debate, we have to go back into, you know, talking about the replacement theology operating. And there's three clear points of replacement with Easter. There's a calendar displacement, okay, which goes from uh, the lunar calendar, which is how the Hebrew calendar is established. I can't see what that says. <laughs> so you can go behind the. So there's a calendar displacement. There's, when you celebrate Easter, you're operating under the Gregorian calendar, which operates off of a solar month, instead of the Hebrew calendar, which operates off of a lunar month. Okay, so that's one displacement. The second displacement... Can I add to the calendar displacement? Yep. All, all that means is, let's just think about it. If something happened on a certain day, right, every year, Easter does change. But isn't it interesting that it's always on Sunday? And we've already talked about this. Sunday is not the Sabbath. That got changed with Constantine. Yahweh never honored Sunday as the first day. It was Sabbath. And that is what is so interesting about all of that because we're honoring the sun God when it comes time to sun Sunday. Yeah, so that's the second. So we have the calendar displacement. We have the Shabbat displacement from... Friday night, Saturday day, to Sunday, okay, which goes back to the calendar as well. That goes back to um, the Constantine Creed, which was very anti-Semitic, okay? We're aligning with something. We're aligning with a certain narrative, and a lot of people don't even realize it. That's why I say it's probably closer to 85, 90% of the North American church that is operating in this theology, and they might not even know it. Now, this teaching is overlapping with heritage, and we have not gotten into it, but if you want to look up the Constantine's Creed, that is the Christianity foundation. You know how every church kind of has like, this is what we believe. The Constantine Creed is the beginning of Christianity. So if you read that, that is what you're aligning with when it comes time to Christianity religion. So when he's talking about that, we have not addressed that yet. But when you read it, you'll see it's very anti-Semitic. What that means is it's anti-Jew. 
It's anti all those things we just talked about, which means it's anti-Yeshua. And, and, and that's when his name changed to Jesus. That's when they said Sabbath would be on Sunday. This is when things began to say, hey, we really want to make sure everyone feels included. So we're going to do paganism and we're going to do a little bit. And he's going to get into it, a little bit of uh, Passover. So we're going to do Easter. And then there was a blending. And when, when I say anti-Semitic, Constantine's Creed, to clarify the level of anti-Semitism that was in that, some of Hitler's assassins, some of his highest killers that were, uh, that were on trial in Nuremberg, quoted the Constantine Creed word for word to in defense of themselves. what they did. And that's what I talked about even with the Reformation. Most of you might say, yeah, but we're not Catholics. We're, we, we follow the uh, Reformation that happened, which was another branch. Uh, so you had Catholicism and then Reformation happened, right, with Martin Luther. And then it went this way, right? Well, Martin Luther's writings at the end of his life became so anti-Semitic that it was what Hitler used to justify his reasoning to do what he did. So, so again, we have the calendar displacement. We have the, the Shabbat displacement. And then the third one that's interesting that I think is, a, is on a deeper level, and when you think of the ministry of reconciliation, that has to be a backdrop for this one because the third displacement is there's a search for something, okay? When, when we go on an Easter egg hunt, right, you're hunting, you're searching for something that's hidden. And that search in that narrative that you're aligning with when you do that is basically in honor of or in uh, symbolizes fertility, right? Or Easter is the fertility god. Esther, or not Esther. So, you know, Easter. a lot of people... What, how do you say it? Oh, str- uh, Esther, yeah. Easter, I don't know. Um, a lot of people would think, you know, that's harmless, Right or they won't. They will not associate Easter and hunting for eggs with replacement theology, but clearly it's operating in an undercurrent within Easter. So you compare the search and the narrative of the Easter egg hunt to what she's going to get into, which is searching for the other half of a broken body, searching for the other half of a connection between heaven and earth. That's the kingdom narrative. It has to do with harvest. It has to do with the trumpets and the rehearsal for him to come back and fulfill what he said he was going to do. To fulfill his promises, we have to search something out that's been broken, and we have to reconcile it. That's the kingdom narrative. On the, on the other narrative, the replacement narrative, we're, we're, we're sending the next generation out to search for whatever. It, well, it's not whatever. Easter eggs are the fertility God would kill babies on an altar, and it has to do with blood. Now, here's the thing. Most people might be like, yeah, but that's not what I think when I do it. Okay, but it's what are you aligning with? So what are we rehearsing? What is the purpose? What's the point? Is it just because it feels good? I mean, then you got to go back. Then you got to go back to then what, what I mean, what is it affording you? Is the joy of an Easter egg hunt so worth it that you could co- possibly be compromising that you're dealing with a, 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 a blend of paganism and calling it Resurrection Sunday? 
when it doesn't have anything to do with anything. It actually has to do with a goddess and fertility. And, and it's actually, and what he's talking about, what we're going to get into, it's a twisting of everything that he does have that is authentic. So I think it's a matter of in our building, it's about being able to understand because most people then would say, but I'm evangelizing. That's how I get them in. Well, I would question what you're getting them into. Because if you're evangelizing through Easter eggs, I don't know what it is once they're in. Then are you going to be like, just kidding. That doesn't make, that doesn't, it's not, it doesn't have anything to do with that. And I, what I find so interesting, when we went through the process of the last five years, we've been called Disney, Disneyland Christianity. We've been called so full of grace, all that sin resides there. You guys don't buy, you don't preach the Bible because it's just about relationship and love and everybody can just do whatever they want. That's what we've been known for. And I find it so interesting that I'm like, how is anything that we're talking about, not, I mean, well, it is his grace, but it is going back to so, does that make, it's almost like, does that make sense how twisted that is? It's like that's a free-for-all when we're trying to go back to the authentic and yet the very ones that would say, you just, it's so full of grace over there are the ones doing Easter egg hunts. I don't get it. It just doesn't even make sense to me. But does that make sense about Easter? And even the name of that or calling it Easter Sunday has nothing to do with resurrection or even thinking about Resurrection Sunday. That's fine, but... What are we gaining on Resurrection Sunday? Do we have any idea that it's even honoring what happened with Passover? Do we understand that it's the final Passover? Do we understand that we're rehearsing for what's coming? Do we understand those things on a deeper level? So Yeshua himself called Passover a holy convocation, but the church age will call Easter its holiest of days. So you can go along... You can go along with a, an incorrect narrative and put a proper-sounding name on it, okay? Um, and we, well, we can see that in our culture right now. But like I said, sometimes we have to take a step back that's so large that we didn't anticipate for that. This is so far-reaching. People will debate me on this, and they will debate at a very shallow level and say, well, when we do the Easter egg hunt, it's to represent the empty tomb, and we put the cross on it, and the blood of Christ, and they'll put all these things on it, but yet they're still aligning with the narrative that aligns with replacement theology, if that makes sense. So we have to acknowledge how far-reaching this is before we can build. Can you talk about the Sunday best? Yeah, so... so when you go back to the pagan origin of Easter, what they would do is, which if you, I mean, well, if you go back to the pagan origin of Easter, what they would do to celebrate fertility and going and looking for fertility is they would put their best clothes on. So when you hear the term, your Sunday best, that's what it's talking about with Easter. So how much, how many how many of us were raised up in, in some type of church, Catholic, whatever, you put on your Sunday best? That's where that came from. So, you know, it's like, how, how far reaching is this? How much do we have to uproot this before we can, we can get back to his original intent? And it doesn't mean that it's becoming religious if you put on your Sunday best. 
That's not the point. It's about the heart's position and understanding what needs to be taken down in me to know the authentic, to know what it is that we're honoring, on untwisting what has fathered some of those decisions and some of those traditions and some of the things that we do to understand what what gave me that idea. It's it's being childlike. It's uh I can't remember who said it, but it's it's reading the word like we've been doing. I've never read this before. Every time I build a relationship, I want to build as if I've never read this before so that I'm teachable, so that, that there's a, 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 a breath of fresh air. It's about being able to see it from a perspective of newness and be able to be able to untwist and move forward versus I already knew that my mom and dad taught me that. Or I knew that the last generation taught me that and not looking into it for ourselves. Was that it on that? On Easter? Yeah, so, so thinking to, to posture ourselves correctly as she goes into these feasts, one thing I want you to think about is the ministry of reconciliation and also what are we sending the next generation to do? Okay, when we talk about what are we, what are we searching for is important and what is the narrative of what we're aligning with. This is a kingdom narrative. There's, there's a narrative, and anytime you hear news or you hear something, you have, to, you have to figure out where it's rooted, right? You have to figure out where these things are rooted, so. And I don't know if you want to get into it now or not, but when he talks about pe- Pesach, meaning uh, the mouth talks, that's going into the Paleo-Hebrew, meaning it's the pay, that's what he was doing is breaking that down. So you want to just talk really quick on why this is called from Moshe's perspective so they can understand what's happening in this process? Yeah, so this is, uh, it's really interesting to think about narratives because when you think about Pesach, it's the beginning, the mouth talks, that's what happened in the beginning, God spoke, Mm -hmm. and you, when you think about the nation of the, the Israelites in Egypt, before they were a nation, their bondage was enslaved speech. So think about uh, sons and daughters who can't talk. Okay, now fast forward to the latest plague. Okay, go on. So. Plague one. <laughs> this, you're going to like this. So they get delivered into the wilderness, which is called Midbar. Jacob. (laughs) But listen, this is so good. Jacob, well, never mind. This is just for Jacob. So in Hebrew, the word Midbar means in the wilderness. It also means inarticulate noise. So they went from a place of confined speech to a place of inarticulate noise. Come on. Were you going to say something? No. <laughs> I was your, like, drummer. Oh. There. Another <laughs> interesting thing about this, we always talk about going back to the original intent. The word debar in <laughs> mid-debar, okay? The word debar in Hebrew means to set, like, when, at, when God created Adam, he set him in the garden. That's what debar refers to, setting something in place, Okay. And so think of that as original intent. When they were sent into the wilderness, it was midbar. A mem before something means you're, you're making it a negative. Okay? Chaos. 
So they went into the wilderness. So they went from constrained or enslaved speech to inarticulate noise. And the promised land in Hebrew, from this perspective, was considered divine speech. So now that we're in this, you're going from a place of slavery or restricted speech, okay? When, when we send you into this next week, what you're engaging is the process of that wilder, the noise of separating out that, that stuff because the first fruits is being able to know that you're going to have divine language. What's the next pillar? It's like as if we planned this and we didn't. Does that make, so that's what happened. If you watch Moshe's life, Mo, Moses, if you watch Moshe's life, that's what happened. Remember, he had a speech impediment. What was happening at Mount Sinai? So there's, 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 so, much, there's so much in that, but I wanted to talk. When you said it, it's And Nisan drop. is obviously the month for Pesach. The letter, the Hebrew letter for Nisan is Hey, which is the beginning of all <sighs> divine speech. So anytime you speak, it starts with a hey. <laughs> Isn't this so much better than like, come join the Easter egg hunt and listen to how he rose. Now, I am not saying that hearing about his resurrection isn't powerful, but I would hope that if you are a Christian, we know something about resurrection. Can I challenge this family that because we know that, that I could say that's the beginning most of the time we go, isn't that awesome? Amen. And that's like the period at the end of the sentence. You're good to go. No, you're not. That was day one. Then you have to walk out a process. Then you have to receive the first fruits only to walk out another refinement process so you can get the other half so that then you can pull in, right? There's just, it's the beginning. It's not a period. It's surprise. Now you get to get started. And yet all we know is salvation, all right, so you guys ready about this whole... Uh, well, I was just going to add, what have we been talking about first fruits? You, why do you sow your first fruits? To sanctify the rest of the harvest. So when Yeshua, in 1 Corinthians 15, 20, when it says Yeshua was a first fruits for those who are asleep, he was <laughs> sanctifying the harvest in the Feast of Trumpets mm -hmm. to the Lord. So he that was we can sanctifying actually dwell. Those weeds getting out of here. Okay, I need some more water. Yes, please. <laughs> um, okay, so we're going to get into the specifics of Pasach now. So that was the overview. We demolished Easter. We're good? <laughs> if any of you guys need a little podcast of one of my voxes, I get really fired up about the bunny. So if you want to listen to that, somebody tap into Voxer, we'll forward it, because I get really fired up about the bunny. <laughs> Thank you. The bunny that lays eggs. Oh, man. Okay. So now we're going to get into the details of tonight. We all enjoyed a Seder. This is the way our family enjoyed a Seder. Uh, we're not going to get into the specifics. Most of you probably have gone to a traditional Seder at one point or another and have walked through the story. This is what I love about this family. This is what a Seder is. He wants you to experience a story through taste. What does he say? 
taste and see that I am good. A Seder is not just a traditional, come on, let's put the plates together, let's get the egg, let's get the lamb bone, let's get the parsley, let's dip it. Let, it's, it is to taste his story because he says, taste and see that I am good. How do you know he's good if you don't understand the tears? How do you know that he's good if you don't understand the bitterness? How do you know that he's good if you're not eating of his meat? How do you know that he's good if you're not eating of his life, right? All of the things that are on this plate are so significant. What I want to bring to you, though, is that there's a whole lot more to the Seder than just this. And so I'm going to just run through this really quick, what some of the things on your plate meant, but I'm going to add to us some things that we may not know. But before I start with this plate, in a traditional Seder, if all of you guys have your matzah, we're going we're gonna to do this together. But before they would do this, first of all, can I just say something? Hebrews love to celebrate. And Pesach was a very, very intimate. It is the most important, if I could say that, I believe it is the most important feast because of how intimate it was. Yeshua decided to honor a Seder meal with his closest people. Up until he knew he was going to die, he took time. Think about this. You are about to be crucified. And he took not a night, an entire eight hours at least to do sections of this Seder. It was an all-day thing. Kids, kids were a part of this. Kids had fun. Adults had fun. It is the one time... Not necessarily for me, but it is the one time that you have four cups of wine. You drink all day, you eat all day, and there are specific things that happen all day long. And the reason, and I'm going to talk about this, but the reason why I bring up the four cups is because what we've known as communion, which Eric did talk about, what we've known as communion is Christianity has seen the Passock time of communion and decided to take the third cup out of its place and then just enter it into any time we want to fellowship with him, we do communion, which is great. But can we put it back into context? And what if I said that that third cup that we do communion with is only one-third of the four promises and cups that he has for us? So when we do communion and he says, do this in in remembrance of me, he didn't say do this one cup in remembrance of me. He was saying, do this all day, eight hour thing in remembrance of me because what I'm giving to you in this moment is going to give you everything you need for what's about to come. You need everything that I have, and I'm giving you all of it. What does four mean in Hebrew? Door. I am giving you, I'm giving you four cups of my promise. I'm giving you everything that you need to endure what's to come. Now, you guys have to understand, the disciples, they had an agenda. They were like, deliver us from the Romans. You're the king. Let's get this show on the road. And he knew what was about to come. So he spent all day with them, dining and being with them to give them everything that they needed to endure what was going to come because it was his plan, not their plan. 
And here's why. And this is why you need to be so excited to celebrate because if he did not fulfill that plan, you would not have the grace to be here because it would have just been, it would have just been for them. But he said, it is better that I go that all may know who I am. So he gave them access and knew that his plan was going to be harder because he wants us to come into the light. Okay, so that is why we get to be excited that he gave everything he had that night. He knew he was being betrayed. At the end of this crazy celebration, he tells the one, go now and do what you need to do. He gave Judas permission. Go and do what you said you were going to do in heaven. My time has come. Okay, so when, when, when I'm talking about four cups, he had four promises for us. They're listed in Exodus. And when we come to First Fruits, we're going to practice that at our house. So we're kind of doing a beginning-end type thing. We're basically going to be breaking up a Seder over the week. That's how we feel this family is going to celebrate versus just doing a Seder, then doing the process of unleavened bread, then doing first fruits. We're going to basically do, we're going to start the Seder tonight, and then in a week we're going to finish it. And at our house, we're going to practice the four cups, and we're going to teach into what each cup means. And maybe we'll, if we have time, we can get into it tonight. But there was a whole lot more than redemption. There was four promises where in Exodus, he says, I will. And, we, and, and let me tell you something about the culture. Why wine and why a cup? You can make vows to your blue in the face. You can say, I promise, you can say, I will, you can give me a ring. You can say all those things, but until you drink of the cup, it is not sealed in heaven. That is why at Jewish weddings, they drink a cup when they are done with their vows. It is important that we understand this because it is a seal of his promise and our promise back to him in each of those promises to reignite that commitment to him. Okay, so when we talk about a Seder, it's a lot more than just this. They drink one cup before they even get to this, and they do what we're about to do first. Then they do this, then they do a second cup, then they do a feast, then they do a third cup. I mean, it just, it just keeps on going, okay? Amen? This was, this was Yeshua's narrative to send his disciples out for what they were going to encounter and for them to multiply. And we're beneficiaries of that. So go back and think of what we're aligning with in these narratives. And if, you're, if, you've, if you've displaced these feasts and you're not celebrating the mouth talking, right? We're operating in a state of enslaved speech. We're not, we're not, yeah. we're not furthering the narrative. We're not furthering the yeah. kingdom narrative. And when we talk about the Seder meal, a big part of it is the, the children asking questions so that you can continue conveying the kingdom narrative. If we're celebrating Easter and not Passock and we don't understand that, then you're in a state of an enslaved speech. So what Yeshua did for the disciples and what Yahweh did at the beginning, we're not, we're not doing that. We're not operating in that. When he talks about the kids, part of the meal, part of the, the Passock celebration was the kids had a huge role. The kids would come to the table and say, on all the nights, we either recline or sit. But why on this night do we have to recline? I'm going to get into why that question is important. On all the nights, we eat herbs. But why on this night do we dip them in the salt water? 
They had specific questions that gave the parents an opportunity to constantly impart legacy, to constantly impart and remember the story. And so the kids, ha- the ki- kids have a huge part of it. And this is what I want to talk about with the next generation. So before anything started, uh, before the Seder, they would take matzah. And so I'm, I'm going to try to do this as best as I can with, with, what, with how I know how to do this. But I want to just talk about the symbolism. They always had three three of these. What it represents is the heaven realm, the earth realm, and the vessels that are in between that are supposed to connect heaven and earth. Okay? They would then take the middle one, which is the earth, uh, the vessel, the humans, the vessels, right? Or Yeshua. And they would, they would, before it would start, they would break it. Now, matzah never breaks usually right in the middle, so one's smaller and one's larger, right? The smaller one would go back into the stack to represent that we are a small, broken piece, a vessel in between heaven and earth. This large piece would be uh, put set aside, and then they would move on with their night. Afi Komen which we're going to get into, but an afikomen actually is the word dessert or the word that which comes after. They then, during the course of the Seder, would take this larger piece and they would put it in an afikomen bag and they would go and hide it. And at the end of the night, the children would have to search the home for the Afikomen bag, and we were entrusting, we are entrusting the next generation to go and find the larger piece to bring it to the table. Now, think about the replacement theology and the revelation that I got last night. Israel, Judah. And that until these come back, He's not coming. The next generation is not the light to go and evangelize, but the next generation, we are, we are here. We are the vessels between heaven and earth, but they need to be searched out that they may see the Messiah. And when they come to the table, both Jew and Gentile, it will be all put back together. Now here's what's crazy. This which will happen right now with your matzah cracker. This is your broken, small piece that you have to be a connector of heaven and earth, but you are not complete. I want you to eat of that so that it goes inside of you for you to understand that part. Next Saturday, the children are going to get this piece and they will find their afikomen and bring it to the table and when we do the last cup, we are going to worship at the end of the night and we are going to partake of this. And here's what the symbolism is. When you put this in your body, the two become one in you. You then become that full, complete vessel between heaven and earth with both pieces that outside of you were separate, but inside of you are put together. That's just one part of the Seder. That's before we even start eating and drinking. (laughs) 
Isn't that amazing? And so we're going to do that tonight. So if you have your matzah cracker as a symbol that you have the smaller piece in front of you, that you are acknowledging that you are a vessel between heaven and earth, but you are only one part and you are a small broken part. Just like Yeshua was broken for you that you may ingest him. This is what it meant when he said, take this and remember. It wasn't supposed to be this little thing that wasn't symbolic. It was, I am the vessel. I am the one that connects heaven and earth. Take this and remember that I broke so that what? You can just sit on my brokenness? So that what? So that you can go and search out what is to come, and it comes inside of you to be able to bring this into fruition. Amen? So, we're going to get into that as far as next Saturday, because I've got some instructions about what to bring, but each family is going to bring an Afi Komen bag. We will fill it with the larger piece, and we are going to have the children uh, sometime in the morning uh, go and find their Afi Komen bags little bit more symbolic than an Easter egg hunt. Amen? I'm wondering if I should do those pictures now. Yeah, maybe I will. No. I'm trying to decide what I want to do. Yes, you guys can uh, break that and, and eat of that when you feel ready to partake in that. What did you say? Oh. Why you guys are doing that, I did want to clarify. Eric, you were correct. Excuse me. I had those two backwards. Day one is dark and light. Day two was the firmament. So the firmament was the separation of the firmament. The first fruits is the waters that allowed them to be on dry ground for the first fruits. So anyways, just had that you were right to have I had those reversed. Yeah, let's go ahead and do it. Is it possible to get the pictures up? Okay. I'm gonna show some pictures and hopefully the pictures then will just kind of come with some things because I want to teach a little bit more uh, about Passock and give some visual to, for us as a family to see what this could look like. Remember, we're going to be building every year, um, and, then, and, then, and then we'll just kind of see where it goes as far as teaching on the rest of them. But uh, I wanted to just show a couple of pictures because a lot of us during Hanukkah bought things that decorated our home and decorated the season, and I wanted to show uh, some things of what it could look like and how beautiful, I think that picture is a little bit better, but this is what uh, a Seder plate can look like. And it's really, it's powerful because as we know the language and how alive it is and everything and what that means and all the, the Hebrew words that are on it. You can go ahead and click to the next one. Is this in the way? There's another one. Again, these are just ideas of, you know, a lot of us have gone to a traditional Seder and, you know, they have 
you know, this is just what it could look like for you and your family as you begin to build on these traditions. And what I mean by that is, is just like you would have the celebrations that we've had before, you purchase things usually to transform your home, or if you have a big feast, you usually have certain plates and that kind of stuff. These are just some examples of Passover, uh, Passock plates. You can go on to the next one. Why they're doing that, uh, just to kind of remind you of what was on your plate, if you don't remember, the uh, raw, the, well, anyways, I don't, there's, there's a lot, but the herbs, so for tonight, I think the symbolism was the tabbouleh, was absolutely perfect, um, the, the herbs uh, dipped in salt water is to remind us of our tears when we're enslaved, that we remember that there is uh, emotion and that there, is, uh, that there are tears, not only our ancestors that were enslaved, but also in our own spiritual enslavement, that there is uh, sadness or tears or trauma that comes with that, that he does come to heal. You have the, I don't know if I know how to say it, the, the Cheseret? Cheroset. 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 It's the apples, right? The apples and the nuts. That is to represent the mortar, the brick and mortar. When you are enslaved and you are building for something else, usually a taskmaster, when you are not, uh, when you are not free, you're building for Hasatan. You're building for another family. And when you're building, it is to remind you of the tools the, the brick and mortar, the, the mortar, the tools that you use to survive in your slavery. Isn't that powerful? So every year when you get to eat of that, you're reminded of the tools that I used to build for Hasatan is to remind me of what he freed me from. Um, what's some of the other ones? The horseradish is to remind us of the pain. You know, there's that taste of the story, you know, when you get a really good horseradish and it just kind of like goes up into your nose and it is painful. There's an aspect of tasting the story of pain of what has happened that he uh, frees us from. You have the hard-boiled egg that, of course, uh, represents the spring season and also life. And there's an aspect of that uh, representing life. So did I kind of get everything? Of course, the, the shank bone uh, signifies the, the sacrifice. And so those things are, and this is what is so powerful, Exodus 12, during this story, you don't just have a plate and eat these things. They go through the scriptures, they go through the Torah, they go through the story, they rem- they are, we are reminded of what happened, and of course, as messy as us understanding, you know, the Messiah, we can also go through all of those things and equate it because he fulfilled it, it's like there's two Passocks, Right? It's what they celebrated, and then it's him being the final, the final one. And I don't know if I necessarily, I don't know if I need to get into that, but if we do, I can. Here's another example of a contemporary one. Isn't that cool? Okay, next one. This just shows uh, some of the things where there's the greens, the eggs, the horseradish. You can see uh, some of the different, um, the different things, like meaning you can get a plate that has the actual things that are on it, and then you can also even get the, the stories to be able to help read through them. You can go to the next one. Uh, I have a quick question. Ellen, did we have the 
the Passock ones first of them dining, or is that after this? Okay, cool. Um, again, this is just showing what I just talked about. You can go to the next one. Now, but we always think of the Seder plate that that's all we do for the Seder. That's all. It's just to come together. And I mean, even my son was like, is that the day where we just kind of like dip the thing and we just eat a little bit? And it's like, no, there's so much. That's just one portion of the whole day. This is just to taste the story. But there's so much to the Seder and during Passock more than this. But um, okay, next one. I thought that one was pretty. Next one. I have a lot of examples. This is what a dinner table would look like, where you have your uh, Seder plate where you taste the story, but your feast is all around. So you can see it's not just a Seder where you've got this little plate. You've got tons of food that can, that can represent things like we did tonight or not re represent. It's just, good, uh, it's just uh, good food all day long. All right, next one. Again, but no leaven. Okay, unleavened bread starts with day one with Passock, so there's no leaven, and, and Eric did a great job at teaching that. The process of not eating leaven is symbolic of getting rid of our pride. Anything that puffs us up. Isn't this so powerful? Because when we come back and we eat of that, why? Because he's the only one I want puffed up in my life. I don't want anything but him to be puffed up in my life. So we're getting rid of all of that. And Passock is an obedience feast. It was an immediate obedience. Can you imagine? Put blood on your doorposts because the death angel's coming tonight. And how many would go, and mock it? It was an immediate obedience. You're going to leave. You need to get out. You don't have time for your bread to rise. You need to go. Now, we know we know, right? We know what happened here. So we know that there was 50 days. They didn't know how long they were going to be gone. I mean, they were gone for lo longer than that. But I mean, when they met at Mount Sinai, they didn't know what this was. And then as soon as they leave, they meet the Sea of Reeds. I mean, they didn't know what the, that, that's obedience, Get up, go, don't take what you're used to, and leave, and you don't know how long it's going to take, and that's going to be a process for you. All right, here's another picture. Look at that feast. Isn't it beautiful what it could look like in your dinner table as a family, and then we're going to, we're going to, uh, well, we're, okay, keep going. Another picture, keep going. Just good food, meat, potatoes. Again, this is just a picture of the salt water, the dipping, all the different things that mean different stuff. Um, greens, new life, matzah, there was no time. <laughs> All right, go, keep going. Another picture, isn't that pretty? <laughs> keep going. Another one, keep going. All right, okay, I need to explain something to you. The Last Supper picture is all false. Every painting that you've seen is not accurate, not right, and not scriptural, even down to the point that we have the wrong person who lays on the wrong person. Okay, so they did not eat at a table. They had pillows and blankets, and they laid on the floor, and they leaned. That's why the children would say, we can recline some nights and sit some nights, but why on today do we recline? There was an act of intimacy 
And uh, because they didn't recline, like lay all over the house. They like reclined on one another. I mean, they, that's why the scripture talks about the laying on of the head because they would nap. They would eat and drink and then nap and then get up and eat and drink. And they would lay like that. Guess what we're doing on Saturday? <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know about that. But I mean, not that we can't, but I don't <laughs> But isn't this powerful? This isn't necessarily a picture of, uh, we'll, we'll get to it, of Yeshua, but this is how they would celebrate their satyrs. It's an all-day thing, and they would lay down, and they would lean. Go on to the next one. They also were circular. It wasn't this long table that we know of where they sat on one side. I mean, just think of the symbolisms that come out at you. I'm on one side, you're over there. These are the ones I sit with, you stay over there, right? But it was, it was circular. They sat in a circle. Okay, next one that's kind of small. This is a real picture of a family doing a Seder. This is what it could look like in your home. And I'm giving you guys these pictures because we're to build. I personally don't feel like I had a grid about any of this until like today. <laughs> I have been so dead in the night season that it's been hard to get a grip and all of a sudden, or a grip for it now, it's like, oh, it's, it's Passock. We're supposed to be building. What are we doing? And so this is, this is just the beginning. And we're going to go over the three things that we're supposed to focus on. But I want to just give us a picture, like I did for Saku, of what this could look like in our families and what satyrs could look like. Or next year, maybe we won't have the tables and chairs. So uh, go on to the next one. Isn't that cool? And they all have their little, you know, they're going through their story and they're, they're just sitting on the floor. Look at how many people. All right, next one. So this is a little bit more of what a Last Supper painting should look like. Isn't that very different than what we've known? That would be more accurate of they leaned on their, and all of this is significant. They leaned on their left, they dipped with their right. Remember in the scriptures when he says, those that I dip with? Because they dipped with the right, so the one that was on the right is the one that he dipped with, and it was not uh, accurate, it wasn't a good thing to dip in the same one, so they all had kind of their, so that's why, it's, that's, why he ta- that's why he talks about that. So there's so many Hebrew idioms that we just read right over and have no idea. Can I bring up one more idiom? It has to do with... Uh, well, I could get into this for first fruits, but I'm there now. Um, remember when they went into the tomb and they saw the folded cloth? Okay? Most of us have probably read that and thought, oh, that's cool. Yeshua was a tidy one. He folded the cloth and. Because, <laughs> can, can I? Because I, I feel like I need to remind myself you guys understand that when he rose, he didn't rise, right? When he rose from the dead, he didn't ascend. He rose and walked on earth, okay? So, I don't know why that came out, but I just want to remind us, he walked this earth for 40 days, disfigured on this earth. He didn't, you know, sometimes resurrection Sunday, he ascended into heaven. No, he didn't. He rose, walked this earth, and mingled. And we're actually going to do something next Saturday that I thought was significant that we could talk about that... um, that I think is going to be really powerful, that was symbolic of something he did right after he rose. He did something with the disciples that we're going to do together as a family next Saturday. So he, so, so, uh, okay, back to the death. So when the, when the women came to the tomb and they found the folded cloth, we just kind of breeze. wow, like how many of us have noticed that or read that? 
or cared about that. Yeah, or just being nice, not leaving a mess. The Hebrew culture at the end of a meal, at the end of a meal, where's a napkin? I need a napkin. I guess I can do a piece of paper. I can do a piece of paper. (laughs) That's okay, I'll do a piece of paper. At the end of the meal, they would push their chairs back and they would take their napkin and they would fold it and put it on their plate. And it meant it is finished. It meant the meal is done. To the point where my teacher, who uh, lived in a Jewish home, didn't know that, had taken her napkin and had folded it and put it on the plate before it was, or put it on the table before it was done. And the whole Jewish family went, (gasps) because it wasn't done. And so they were like, did we offend you? Was there something that wasn't good? And she was like, what is going on? So to them, it is a culture thing that it is so, at the end, they would fold their napkins nicely and put it on the plate to say, it's finished. We miss those type of things, that he left that there to say it's finished, and we think, oh, he must have been a tidy man. <laughs> and we just kind of breeze right over it. So these are the things that are so important about he, you know, the one I dip with, you know, and what that means when they lean to the left, dipped with the right. All right, next one. Uh, that just shows that there's uh, four cups of communion. Next one. Yep. Uh, there's another example. Next one. Isn't that just so different than the Last Supper picture? And what, uh, what now, now think about, this is what he did up until he knew he was going to, I mean, within 24 hours he was going to be crucified. And he's still honored. This isn't a new thing. Oh, I'm going to crucify. Maybe I should get a bunch of blankets together and a table and put a plate and put a lamb bone on it and hope they get it. This is something they had been doing forever. He knew what they were doing because he was honoring where he came from. They already understood. And what he was saying during this time was that everything that you have, you will, you, everything I have, you will need for what's to come. Okay, next one. Another plate. I thought that one was really pretty. I thought of Amber. Next one. There's another uh, table. And then uh, at the end, that's actually the Afikoman bag. So that's where they would put the, the larger piece for later. Next one. Another example of how they would lean and eat. Next one. Isn't that so powerful? And, and uh, affection and intimacy is not abnormal for Hebrews. So there's closeness, there's intimacy. My point in saying a lot of that is sometimes we have this Western culture facade of who Yeshua is and very stoic and and he was very intimate, very, uh, in the Jewish culture, to wash someone's feet is the closest, most intimate thing you can do outside of sex. Outside of that, it is the most intimate thing. You did not touch feet. And so for him to do that and to wash in that way was a very, it was basically uh, another uh, covenant of I am giving, even to Peter, I am giving my life to you even in denial, I will not leave. I'm giving you everything that I have and you will have everything that you need for what's to come. Next one. Just a side note on the intimacy with the feet. That's the same reason why, when Ruth uh, slept with Boaz on the harvest floor and she touched, she was sleeping on his feet 
he made sure that that information wasn't spread around because he didn't want people to think of mm-hmm. her in a way that she was being intimate in an inappropriate way because he knew people would think that because she was laying on his feet. Again, another Hebrew idiom and different things that we don't know about the culture that we just kind of gloss right over. Another example of a beautiful table. Look at all that unleavened bread. Next one. Okay. Um, okay. I'm just going to go over some examples, and I feel like I just have to get into it. So, um, so for next Saturday, I told everybody all food and drink is completely provided for. We want to provide that, but there are some things that you're going to bring practically that we want to send you into this week to make to bring. One of the things is we would like you to bring your communion cup, whatever that may look like. So these are just some examples. And the reason why is because we are going to engage in all four cups, and I will talk about them. The one that we typically know of is the third cup, which is the cup of redemption. But there is a cup of sanctification. There is a cup of deliverance. There is a cup of redemption, and there is a cup of praise. And when in Exodus, these are all the promises when he says, I will, when he's talking about uh, sanctification. Now, what I want to send you into is some real intentionality to even study these four cups, because when you choose to partake in that, you are making a seal covenant in heaven that you are saying for the next year, I am giving you permission to use every circumstance in my life to sanctify me. You're, this is why communion is so powerful. We just think redemption. And I have this close relationship. Isn't that Christianity? I have a close relationship with you without sanctification. I have a close relationship with you without deliverance. I have a close relationship with you and I don't have to praise. Just give me you. Just give me the third cup. Give me redemption. Redeem me. Redeem me. Good to go. But you don't want to be sanctified. You don't want to praise and you don't want to be delivered. We don't understand about the four cups, and so we're going to engage in those four cups. So I want you to really, we just don't have time tonight to get into it, so I need, I want you, I'm beseeching you, to really dive into what is the cup of sanctification? What is Exodus 6 talking about when he says, I will sanctify you? What does that mean when you're giving him permission to do it? What is deliverance? You know that those that had the blood over their doorpost was operating in a different realm. Because the death angel didn't have access. This is where you get into frequency. This is where you get into his blood. This is where you get into uh, um, portals. It's where you get into the access where you're completely connected through deliverance. You are delivered from something that you are in something that that cannot, it, it can't see you. It can't see your firstborn. The d- death Death cannot see you. Now, that was not for then, because then I would be operating in, um, what's that, where it was for them back then? But not now, what is that? Cessationism. So if death can't see you, what's happening to us? So are we operating in deliverance? Just something to think about. I'm just trying to stretch our minds of what this could mean. Go ahead. Exodus 6 and 7 is going to talk about all of his promises. He's saying, I will sanctify you. I will deliver you. I just want us to understand that there's a bigger word in deliverance than, oh, you know, especially us, you know, that were Pentecostal. 
I can get into some deliverance, but what I mean by deliverance is I'm talking about where the death angel cannot see you because you are operating in something completely different, being delivered from the things that are operating. Usually we think deliverance is like a casting out a demon or something. Okay, so the first one is sanctification. Second one is deliverance. Third one is redemption. That's the one we're most used to. It's where he promises, you're gonna be my people. It is that cup where you get to say, and I'm gonna be your people. So you're sanctified, you're delivered, then you are his people, and then the fourth cup is praise. So you can do one for your family. I originally saw one for your family, but we are actually gonna engage in four cups. Uh, so it depends on how you wanna operate. If you want to have the one cup and share it with your family, you can, or if you wanna have each kid, if you want each person to be able to partake in communion, uh, we should have enough for all of it. You can. You can, you can, yeah, you can make what, you can bring one for your family on however you want to engage with that cup if you want to do that with your family or everyone can bring their own cup. Oh, no, nope, just, nope, sorry, just your one cup. Yeah, we'll, we'll rinse them out. I'm like, yes, please bring, Whitinger's, please bring 85 cups. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so here's an example of something that you could have as part of your Passover. Uh, this could be your cup. Um, next one. Woo, isn't that, isn't that gorgeous? All right, next one. This is just, uh, just different examples that I saw. Um, next one. I thought that this was cute. So what I want to send you guys into this week is having family time. Right, The Seder meal essentially tonight is done, but as you're getting rid of the leaven in your home and getting rid of that, engage what your cup looks like and be, be prophetic. What are your colors? Use yarn, use paper mache, use puffy. What does your cup look like that you want to say, this is the cup that I'm gonna make a vow with and I'm gonna seal and I'm gonna receive your promise of sanctification. I'm gonna receive your prom promise of deliverance and so on. All right, next one. There's some other ones. Next one. I thought that was really pretty. Next one. All right. So uh, this is the afikomen. So the second thing that you're going to bring is an afikomen bag. You only need one for your whole family. I don't know if you necessarily need one unless you want to go and search all over the house. <laughs> and you don't have to, part, you, I mean, let me say one thing about Saturday. This is a relaxed family event. You can come in your pajamas. It's going to be food all day, drinking all day. It's going to be movie naps. It's going to be, it's going to be a family relaxed time, Okay. So, um, so if you don't want to partake, don't. If you do, do. But this is what an afikomen bag can look like. Uh, again, remember that word means dessert or that which is to come after.
Okay, so there's an example. You can bring an envelope if you want. I think I have an example of that. Next one. Here's one that you can, uh, I mean, you can order or make and color it. Next one. I don't know if you can see that, but I'm pretty sure it's just cloth. They did a flap and then did a little ribbon. Next one. And you can Pinterest. There's tons of activities. Uh, this is, I think, just an envelope. I mean, that, that's cute. I mean, it'll, it'll work, right? <laughs> I mean, I'm just saying, for me, I would love to order. I've got this vision for an Afi Komen bag with brewer name, you know, but I, I'm not going to have it by next Saturday. So whatever we have this year is what we're going to do. All right, next one. There's another one. That is, of course, Afi Komen in Hebrew. Next one. Uh, I found this lady that order, um, sells them on Etsy. So they don't have to be, you know, they can be whatever Holy Spirit says for them to look like. All right. Do I have any more? I don't think so. Go to the next one. All right. I'm not sure I'm going to have time to get into that. Um, yes. right? <laughs> and they kept practicing that. And then eventually Yeshua came and that was the ultimate Passover. Mm -hmm. Okay. So Seder, mm -hmm. is Seder like the first Seder? Was that the remembrance meal that they had? So that's like what they did with the Feast of Unleavened Bread was the remembrance meal to like teach the tradition. I just want to make sure like vocabulary wise, that's what Seder is. Yes. And the word Seder means order. And so obviously uh, the night that they did for the 10th plague, for them to prepare for that, they were preparing for the sacrifice ultimately. And then throughout time, it became, this is how we're going to remember what our ancestors got delivered from. And when I talk about, I want to talk a little bit about deliverance again, because I, I want us to understand when I'm talking about frequency, here's what I mean. In your old life, you entangled with some frequency. When you're living under Pharaoh, when you're in Egypt, when you're in a different culture, when you're in Christianity, when you're under Constantine, when you're in religion, you're entangled with some frequency that has held you captive. When you partake of deliverance, what you're being delivered from is from that entanglement and getting untangled and being in his frequency is the ultimate deliverance. Sometimes when we hear deliverance, we either think casting out demons or being delivered, like leaving Egypt. And I just want it to make, us, make it real that when we partake of that cup, we are asking to be delivered from anything that I'm being entangled of that is not from your world. And I want you to deliver me into your world, your frequency, your sound, all of that. Because remember, don't have speech, tons of noise. I want that divine language. Okay? All right. I'm trying to think if there was. Oh, and on Saturday, just another practical thing. There's one. So, Afi Komen bag and, and uh, wine glass. Um, 
and then um, a camping chair. Should I just tell them what we're doing? I have it on Facebook. Okay, so what did Yeshua do after he rose when he met the disciples by the lake? He grilled fish outside. So what you're going to do at 9 o'clock is come. You're going to grab your plate of breakfast. I'm hoping to have all the food out. You're going to grab your plate, and you're going to head outside in the backyard with a camping chair. And uh, the father of the house is going to grill up some fish after we're done with breakfast to be able to partake in something and experience that story that after all that Yeshua did, he's, he dines with the disciples he leans with them. He says, I'm going to give you everything you need to endure. Then he goes through everything that he goes through. He goes through the crucifixion as the last. He's the blood over your doorpost that you may not die, right? He descends. He is the ultimate one that gets rid of all the sin. He rises, and he, the first thing he does when he rises out of that is grill some fish. He barbecues. He eats with his disciples again. Right? And he was calling. What did they do? They went back to the lifestyle they knew. They started fishing again. He said, get out of the boat. Do something different. Cast it on the other side. Now, come on in. I got my own fish. Let's eat. So on first fruits, we're going to be like, come on. Stop going back to what you've always known like Easter. Cast your net on the other side and let's eat and have some fish over the fire. Amen? That'll be after we have our first cup. <laughs> All right. Oh, there was some. Oh, I want to talk a little bit about first fruits real quick. Um. Because I want us, to, it's hard to under, I can't really describe the Feast of first fruits because it has to do with the tabernacle and it doesn't have to do with this timeline. It has to do with the waving of the sheaths, which I'm going to get into with this. But what I do want you to know about first fruits is when they took their first fruits to the temple, okay, this one is barley. This one is wheat, okay? The barley first fruit, when they brought it into the temple, what I want you guys to understand about first fruits, what I want you to take away from this is that you could not make anything from your barley until you brought it into the temple. Until you brought your first fruit into the temple, you could not make anything else. Okay, now I want you to hear this from today, from here. You cannot multiply. You cannot make anything until you take the first fruit into the temple. He is the first fruit. You cannot multiply. You cannot find the larger piece of matzah. You cannot do anything. You cannot multiply his kingdom until you take the first fruit into the temple. There is a lot with what I just said and what we're going to get into with first fruits because we are going to begin to understand as a family the tabernacle. If we do not understand the tabernacle, we do not understand our bodies. And all of this has a lot to do with the tabernacle because we are the tabernacle. So when we talk about first fruits and we don't really grow things and we don't necessarily have a harvest in that manner, I want us to understand that he is the first fruit and we cannot do anything outside of ourselves until he comes into the temple and we are the tabernacle. Okay? Now, 
I, I will get into this, but we can talk more possibly next, next week. We'll see how this is going to go. Next week is worship, but we might release and do worship. So we'll see how, how far we get. But what I want you to understand, because I want to send the family into making this, you do not have to bring this on Saturday. But as a family, I want you to pray about making one of these. After first fruits, we have the counting of the Omer. So what I feel about this is like we all have done with December 1st, how many of us had the countdown to December 25th? We get a countdown. We just get the authentic countdown. So what's gonna, what a counting of the Omer is, is that there's a first fruits, and then there's another first fruits. There's another, uh, there's another harvest, basically. And what this is saying is you count off the weeks until this happens because there's exactly 50 days from first fruits to here, and we're going to count off each day. Okay? Now, the importance to this is that we understand what is going to happen here. So... What's happening is, is that you're, you're getting excited about counting down the days for when the sons come forth. When the marriage covenant happens where the Torah comes inside of us and the sons begin to be revealed in order to do this. So this is an exciting time and it's also a refining time. Make sense? So when I talk about this, it's just I want you guys to know that you can get into this and you can make it, but you don't have to bring it next Saturday. Does that make sense? So uh, this is just talking about um, counting our days and remembering. And the reason why I talk about this being a refinement is that they even have per week a name like loving kindness that they would focus on. So each week they were focusing on a specific attribute and they, as a family, they would be very intentional on that day and that week and they would mark it off as it came to Shavuot. So it's a real family time from Pasach to, Sh to Shavuot of a real, a real refinement and activation to be able to uh, get here. Does that, make, does that make sense? All right, next picture. Uh, all this is talking, and you guys know, because I've preached on this, but if you don't remember, this is what is so powerful about the Bible. Yes, this happened during this time, okay? So first fruits, sea of reeds. Dry land, they plant, they dance, right? They have first fruits. He rises, yes? Okay, then Shavuot happens with Mount Sinai. Shavuot also happens with Acts 2, okay? When you read in the scriptures at the end of each gospel, you can read very specifically, Yeshua died, rose, walked the earth for 40 days, and it was on day 50 that, that Pentecost happened or that when he when Holy Spirit fell. My point in saying that is we're rehearsing. So when he told the disciples, go to the upper room and wait, there was a rehearsal that happens. And so when we're intentional with the next 50 days, I'll just say this, First Fruits is actually starting on Monday. So we're starting that right now where there's this intentionality of being excited about what's to come because what it is that we're counting out is something that we get to rehearse that we know has happened. And it, what my point is, is it's so real. When you read at the end of each of the gospels and you see what Yeshua did when he was cooking the fish and he walked around for 40 days and in, in Acts, he then ascended and then Holy Spirit came. It all lines up with the timeline and what's happening in these Kairos moments 
experiences that we get to activate within that same timeline. And we're getting excited and counting down to that time. So next picture. Again, this is just talking about you've got Passover. There's seven weeks to Shavuot. Again, it's the reality of the end of each of those gospels. You guys all know I woke up during this time. The first time I ever preached in my entire life was during Shavuot. And I had no idea what was going on, but it was when I woke up because I realized that the Bible was real. Sounds crazy. But it was so tangible and so real that I was like, wait, I'm Pentecostal. That means 50. He a- There's actually 50 days and he talks about it in the Bible. Like I just remember being so excited that it just meant something and it was just so real. There's something so powerful that happens when a daughter and a son wakes up, Holy Spirit comes in and and dwells and uh, recommits that covenant of marriage of the Torah, the loving instructions of a father being inside your heart and everything becomes real. On Shavuot, I don't know what's gonna happen, but I'm excited to have the upper room experience. We may just lay out because it is gonna be a powerful time as we understand this. Next, next, uh, next slide. This is just an example of week five, humility. How powerful is that for you to know what week you're on, what week you're, what week you're in, how do you wanna steward your family, how do you wanna steward your kids? I mean, if we did it for December 1st to December 25th for Santa, Why can we not say it's week five? This is humility week. And you focus on humility and you activate humility. Next one. And and, and I have a list. Week one is hesed. This loving kindness, hesed is like, anyways, it is such an alive word, but, but okay. So the first week is loving kindness. What does that look like for your family to operate in hesed? So you've got week one is loving, go ahead. Week one is loving kindness. Week two, and we'll talk more about this, uh, but I just wanted to kind of get it all in there because it starts like tomorrow. So bam. (laughs) Uh, Week two is uh, justice. Week three, compassion, beauty, balance. Now, tabernacle. All I'm gonna say, when you get into certain aspects of things that we don't quite understand, these things activate the tabernacle. There's different layers of the tabernacle, right? Body, soul, spirit. There's different layers to our human body. Flesh, soul, spirit, tabernacle, body, soul, spirit. There is something that happens when you activate beauty because there's something within the tabernacle that's being, being awoken. Is that okay for me to just kind of lay that there? Uh, victory, efficiency, glory, foundation, intimacy, all the way to number seven, which is God's earthly realm. Now, there's seven. There's seven. Let's just put that together. Now, the reason why I'm talking about the tabernacle is because Malchut is the earthly realm outside the tabernacle. So just something to be thinking about when you're engaging some of this stuff, because if we are the tabernacle, you need to understand the tabernacle, and these weeks begin to activate those things. And I'm saying this for those that need healing, because if you understand that the tabernacle is within us and we have these things, there is energy and there are things that we can engage that begin to transform within our body when we understand the tabernacle, okay? All right, so 
Again, if you want to create a counting of the Omer, this is what this could look like. Next picture. So here's some examples of things that you can do with your family. What does it look like to count off the weeks? Even days sometimes. Go on to the next picture. Um, just another example. Next picture. And they have days. One, two, three, all the way up to 50. This I thought was super powerful because it has to do with harvest and with the younger kids with beans and flowers and being able to plant and do different things. And Next picture. Again, tons of stuff on Pinterest. Same thing. They had little cups. There was 50 of them and they watered them and being able to grow and activate those things. Next picture. Uh, this is um, a very detailed... Uh, <laughs> I totally thought about Gabe. Um, this is a very detailed, this is how detailed you can get with being so, in, when the scripture says count your days and know and activate wisdom. This just has the hesed, the, the hod, it has all the, the malkut, it has all the things that we, uh, whatever. And, and there's different ways to do it. This one I think goes every Sunday is loving kindness. Every Monday is humility. Every, they did it different, but, or you could do it per week. Okay. Next one. Uh, yes, I will verify that for sure. Um, but I'm pretty sure first fruits is the, tw what is the 29th of March, Monday, right? So the count is Monday and it's, uh, I didn't have the date with me. I'll verify it's March 29th through May 16th. So Shavuot is May 16th. I guess you could do May 16th and count back 50 days, but, it's, uh, but I'm pretty sure it's Monday is when it starts. All right, this is another one, week one, week two. And then look at this. There's 50 letters. You can engage the letters each day to, for, for, anyways, you can engage a bunch of stuff. Next one. Uh, these are things that you can order and cut them out, and then you just paste things on them. Next one. Again, these are things you can make with your family. You do not need to bring this on Saturday, but I wanted you to have this information if you want to begin to engage this as we prepare for this feast coming up in May. Uh, next one. I think that those are little paper plates. I thought that one was cute. Next one. Oh, that was another Afi Komen bag. <clears throat> That's okay. There we go. So, those are the three things we felt Yahweh wanted us to focus on with these feasts was the afikoman bag, the counting of the Omer, and the, the wine glass. Was that it? Did I get there? Did I do everything? <laughs> Let me make sure I did everything. That was a lot. Are you guys okay? Okay. Um, obviously... We're going to be building precept upon precept. We also have next week, we'll be talking with Gabe and Ellen about how, what we want to do with worship and if we need to be releasing a little bit more. And then, um, and then next Saturday, we'll be basically finishing up a Seder and we will uh, be celebrating first fruits. Is everybody good with Exodus and Yeshua, how that lines up, all the symbolisms with that, the dates with all of that? We're all good with, with all that? Just so everyone knows, if you choose to study this, we are one day early. So if you see that Passock is tomorrow night, that is true. And first fruits essentially is April 4th. That's the seven days. We're as a family just shifting it one day over. We're starting on Friday and ending on Saturday. Okay? Just to add to our imagery of two houses, now we can add there's two narratives that can go along with the two houses.
Does anybody have, just because as Gabby's coming up here, does anybody have like any question that they feel like they need answered to be sent into this week? Remember this week for your family is to get rid of the leaven. Whatever that looks like for you, if it means to actually engage the Feast of Unleavened Bread, you're not eating anything that, has, uh, that allows your bread to rise. If you want to practically get rid of that, you're also going through a process where you're getting rid of that pride or anything that puffs you up or anything that's within your body that is not supposed to be there, that separation that is supposed to happen. You're engaging that this next week in order to understand what he did on First Fruits for us. Thank you for listening to this message from Kingdom Heirs International. If you have received insight and revelation with this message, we invite you to claim that revelation by trading on the trading floor with this ministry. You can do that at kingdomheirsflag.org. Thank you.